Ovajana, Timiran Tasya, Gyanam Jana Shalakaya, Chakshur Militam Yuna Tasma Ishigaravinamaha. Prahlad Maharaj makes a similar statement. Sukam Aindriyakam Dadya Deha Yogina Dehinam Sarvatra Labhyate Daiva Yatadukam Ayatnatara Addressing the natives, the demon young boys, he said that happiness, especially that measured in terms of that which is in relationship to the senses, that comes automatically. When you get a body, just by the very virtue of having a body, then some happiness is built. Even if you even in a hellish situation, there is also happiness. That those in a hellish situation actually gain some kind of pleasure. Actually it's a hellish, tortured kind of pleasure, but they actually find some enjoyment in that. Just so you see some people they like techno rock. You know what that is? Techno rock music? I found out. I, I attended a concert all night. I mean, I didn't plan on it, but it just happened to be going on outside the apartment I was in once in Belgrade and so So it sounds like someone hammering on your head. And the hellish screams that accompanied it, accompanied it from those who were enjoying it spoke of the caliber of the people who like to listen to such music. Even a woman stool finds pleasure. If we were to throw someone, human being, most of them, into stool, they would not think this is a very nice thing. And if we told them that you have to eat it also, that would be even worse. But the world in stool thinks this is very nice, nice stool, comfortable living here, and it tastes very nice. Superb. Superb. <laughs> And that is proof that if you take the worm away from the stool, he'll crawl back. At the sewage works, if a worker falls into the pit of stool, then some he'll be very grateful if someone helps him to get up. But the worm in stool will feel very offended and disturbed if you take him out of it. So what he sees as happiness, we see as distress. Similarly, there are some people who inflict torture upon themselves and consider it very nice. Masochism, they, they beat themselves. They consider it pleasurable. This is my So, according to the consciousness, one gets different kinds of experiences. According to, sorry, according to the body, one receives, uh, one has certain, one receives certain kinds of experiences. And according to the consciousness, we find these experiences enjoyable or distressing. It's like, I'm a human being, and the others at that techno-rock concert were supposedly also human beings. But what I found to be unpleasant 
they, they thought, this is great, this is wonderful, this is very nice. Mm. So, suk and duk, happiness and distress, are there, they come with the body. The living being is always experiencing various degrees of happiness and distress that comes with the body according to one's previous karma is future happiness and distress is to a large extent fixed. I say to a large extent because what we do in this life also creates new karmic reactions that may start to practically even within this life. For instance, um, one, one's, uh, it's, it's not that it's all fixed by destiny. So much is fixed by destiny, but by one's actions, uh, one can influence the cause of one's life also. For instance, as Lord Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita, by worshipping demigods, one can quickly achieve material happiness. Kaam shanta kaamanam siddhim yajanta ehadevataha Persons who are desirous of material happiness, and here in this material world they worship various demigods. Shiprahmi karmanam And quickly one can achieve the results. So people are attached to this demigod worship because it works. If you do demigod worship, you can achieve results. You can achieve according to the manner in which you perform it and how much the various demigod favors you, you can achieve wealth, fame or various material benedictions. However, even though the demigods may award benedictions, it is not possible even for them to award you benedictions that will award only happiness and not also distress. Because that is the very nature of this material world, that with material so-called happiness is inbuilt distress. For instance, one may attain the happiness of getting a lot of money. But inbuilt with that is the distress of being separated from it. Because one cannot remain in possession of that money. It will either one will either lose it within this lifetime or at death he will suffer the pain of being forcefully detached from that money. So although here and in various places in Shastra it is spoken, uh, it is mentioned how one can achieve happiness and distress in this material world. Only happiness or happiness and distress? Happiness and distress. But actually the term material happiness it is a conventional usage. Because the inherent nature of this material world, Krishna has defined as Dukhalayam, it is a place of distress. <coughs> to give a rather figurative story, which I heard before coming to Krishna consciousness, it's a funny little joke. You can say. That a man was sent to hell and he was given a choice of which hell he could go. So in one, he saw the people being whipped, and in another, he saw them being stoned. 
stone. Yeah. yeah. Stone, stone. And another, he saw them having to walk through all forest full of thorns and have their skin on top. Колючками и шипами. No, the uh, the last phrase that and everyone gets everyone on. Everyone get back on your head. Stand and you have to stand on your head. Ah, I see. (laughs) 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 So there may be a little happiness, so-called happiness, but the basic nature of this material world is that it is full of distress. And just like this Pallad Maharaj, Sukham Aindriya Kamdhanta, he says that the happiness of this material world is only that of the interaction of the senses with the sense objects. It is a kind of sensation that takes our attention away from the distress that we are feeling in our hearts. You know what, you have this tiger balm in this country. They use tiger balm. If you get a headache, you put this on your forehead. <laughs> Did anyone ever use that? I, I use it quite often. So what is the effect of using them? I usually get a headache in, in my in my forehead. Here. So the effect of using that it gives a kind of stinging sensation, which is less severe, slightly less severe than a headache. <laughs> so you cover one kind of pain with another kind of pain, and it, it seems to give some kind of relief. So like that in the material world, we seek sense gratification as a as a diversion away from the deep distress, it covers over the distress which we feel in the core of our heart. This is especially prominent in modern society, especially in the fast-moving cities of the West, like London and New York, where everyone is doing something all the time. There's not a moment to waste. Everyone is very busy going from one experience to the next. And neon lights flashing here and there, and some, some music playing out of the shop somewhere else. Buy this, the advertisement says. Go there, go visit Puerto Rico. And in Puerto Rico there's a sign, go visit New York. <laughs> so it's constant titillation of the senses. You should always have some music playing in here, and always some sense gratification for the tongue. Constant. So they're always t- taking some soft drink or some hard drink or some chewing gum or all the time they're smoking all the time they want some titillation for their taste buds they have this uh, radio shows with the, with the uh, DJs playing music and they put on the music then when it, just when it's coming to end the guy comes in and says blah 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 blah, blah talks very quickly and then another one comes in before he finishes speaking and he talks in a falsely happy voice and whatever he says has no meaning. And that was a really wonderful song from Bob Dylan. Now we're going to give you another one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a false euphoria. And to enhance this feeling of euphoria, people 
many people that take intoxication, or they become very interested in sex, which is another euphoric sensation. So like this, going from one apparent euphoria to another, people just try to cover up the distress which they feel in their hearts. We see especially that people, they're more inclined to become drug addicts or sexual perverts if they don't have any basic satisfaction in their lives, especially if they don't have any feelings of love at home, then they tend to become very lusty and sexually perverted because they're trying to uh, they're trying to make up for that for the actual feeling of satisfaction that could come from some meaningful relationships. They're trying to acquire that by force by sexual gratification. If we analyze just a little bit below the surface we can see that actually everyone is visible. Just below the surface, everyone is screaming inside. Even most people just leading some kind of ordinary life. And they seem to be it's going on with life more or less and no major problem. But everyone is playing a charade. They're pretending to be the kind of person that other people expect them to be, that society demands that they be. They act in a certain way and even have trained themselves to think in a certain way because they are culturally conditioned in that way. They have uh, adopted an identity that has been given to them by the culture they were brought up in. And they're so much disconnected from their real self that they take this identity that they have adopted to be real. But they're, they're totally disaccustomed to going deep into their hearts to find out who is there. They don't know themselves. We have, there's this term, self-realization. The self-realization, the culture of self-realization is considered to be a very high spiritual platform. This means that most people, they are not interested in self-realization. They don't know who their self is. They have not realized who they actually are. If it is accepted that self-realization is a, a very high culture, higher than that of which the ordinary man follows, then we can uh, conclude that the ordinary man is completely out of touch with his self. That's one reason why these uh, fashions become popular. People dress in different clothes according to the fashion. Because people tend to judge you according to the clothes you wear. So people like to project themselves according to the latest different fashions. But yes, I am also following this fashion. And this is also me. I am like this. And they dress in various ways to project their personality. But actually, they themselves do not know who they are. If you dress, with, and say you make your hair all yellow and green and sticking out in different directions, then people can understand that this is, um, are they called punk rockers or something? Maybe that's an out of Yeah. So, or if someone has a little bit long hair and a bit of a beard and a kind of serious look, you can understand this is an intellectual, <laughs> probably a poet. So, like this, people, their, their dress is supposed to 
gives some indication of their identity. So people adopt different kinds of identities that they feel themselves attracted to. Someone dresses as a businessman in a suit and tie. Someone puts uh, tattoos on his body to show him a tough guy. So like this, people adopt different kinds of identities which are, which are offered to them by society. And some of them, they try to show that I am different. Just like when this first came out, this thing of having all different colored hair in all different directions, that was considered something really different. But now it's normal. People adopt different supposed identities. But these uh, projected identities are all simply different permutations of the same materialistic identity that everyone has. Everyone in this material world is posing themselves as Ishvaraham Aham Bhogi. I am, this, I am the controller and I am the enjoyer. Due to forgetting or deliberately rejecting their relationship with Krishna, they are forced to suffer in this material world. So Prabhupada wrote in this sixth canto, that in our Krishna conscious movement, we do not indulge in whimsical fashions, changing our clothes every day, changing our clothing style every day, changing our clothes every day, but not our clothing style. Prabhupada wrote that in our Krishna conscious movement we have one fashion. Shaved head with tilak, neck beads and dhotis. Of course he didn't mention the saris, but that's understood. In this we state, this is our identity. Yeah. He stays or? By, by wearing this we mm. state, this is our identity. We no longer project ourselves to be businessmen or hooligans or any such identity of this material world. But we simply want to identify ourselves as the eternal servants of Krishna. This is the only situation by which one can get freed from the so-called happiness and certain distress of this material world. Of course, a devotee also goes through various kinds of situations. That every one of us, uh, we can expect that we will be subject in future, maybe today or after some days, to some distressing situations. And also there will be some situations which will cause, which will be a cause of pleasure. All the time we're experiencing pleasure and distress. The, in varying degrees. <coughs> Just like we may get some minor distress that someone accidentally treads on our foot and it's not very painful and we don't, it's not a big thing. We don't take much notice. But then there may be some uh, highly distressing situations. A loved one passes away or we have some uh, actual bodily injury. Similarly, there may be some minor cause of happiness and some major cause of happiness. But a devotee is advised that on the, on the platform of transcendental knowledge, not to be affected by the dualities of this material world, a devotee is always advised to have a philosophical outlook. Even Balaram told this to Rukmini Devi when she was experiencing 
some distress. Rukmini Devi can never experience any material distress because she's not a product of this material world. And especially when she's in the presence of Krishna, she's always happy. And she was very happy when Krishna came and kidnapped her. And she was in so much anxiety that I'm going to have to get married to judge Shishupa hated. And she was hoping that Krishna will come and take me. And her apprehension of distress turned into great bliss. But it just so happened that shortly after that, uh, Krishna insulted her brother. No, так Of course, he deserved it. But Krishna happened to give him a, a punk style head. <laughs> Oh, да, из, из рук мне, Кришна. And she was very blissful because she had just been saved by Krishna from being married to Shishupala and her, her long-standing wish was fulfilled. But even in that situation, on behalf of her brother, uh, in, in relationship to her brother, she was feeling some distress. So then up came Balaram, who had just, he came up a little late because he was dealing with all the others, all the armies and something like So Balaram was expert in locating people and Diplomatic means peaceful. Means mm. So Balaram told Rukmini, he gave her a, a philosophical virtue. He told her, you have to see everything philosophically. You should see the world with a philosophical outlook. There's no need to be overly happy or overly distressed in any situation because everyone is, we should simply see in every situation that everyone is simply getting the result of their previous activities. And as a dutiful elder brother, he chastised his younger brother a little bit. Of course, later he did to Rukmi what he really, he, he gave Rukmi what he really deserved, namely a club on the head. But this advice is uh, perfect advice for all devotees. That we should see everything, we should see this world in a philosophical outlook. That's why for our day-to-day living in this material world, the Bhagavad Gita is the, you get the best instruction in Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita gives us all advice how to live in this world and not be affected by its tumultuous conditions. Bhagavad Gita teaches us how to live in a bewildering world and not be bewildered. So this... Um, Instruction or these instructions that are being given in this section of Bhagavatam, they resemble what are sometimes called the very basic teachings of Bhagavad Gita. So it may seem like a very basic topic, but actually it's very good to hear these basic topics. Of course, we may also go on to more uh, philosophically what we could call more philosophically developed topics of the intricacies of devotional philosophy. But it is also very good to uh, regularly study Bhagavad Gita as it is. To keep fresh in our minds this very 
basic understanding that can help us to live equably in this miserable material world. Because this material world is always presenting us with various kinds of distresses and disturbances. So by regularly studying this philosophy that everything here is temporary, this material world is by nature distressing, and so on. By regularly discussing. By regularly yeah. studying this philosophy that everything here is temporary, this material world is by nature full of distresses, and so on. Then we can remain equipoised in situations which would otherwise cause us to become uh, disturbed. Krishna speaks of the uh, self-realized person who remains equipoised even in very trying circumstances. So if we are not fixed in this knowledge, then we will be carried away by the waves of Maya and affected by attachment in this material world. So it is very important that we maintain this philosophical understanding that we are actually not products of this material world. That the effects of material nature, although they appear to affect us, ultimately they do not. This is the basic platform on which we can practice spiritual It's, uh, as we said, it's basic topics. So. Probably we all have this theoretical understanding. Nevertheless, we should <coughs> discuss this from time to time, especially as it comes up in Shastra again and again and again. There is a question now, what is that? In the paper, it was mentioned that uh, Durga Devi mm-hmm. uh, creates, maintains, and destroys all material universes. So, how does she maintain them? By which qualities? Well, it doesn't exactly say that in the English version of the book. <coughs> oh, maybe he misheard it in Russian also. Mm. Here it's stated that she can create and ma- maintain and annihilate any number of universes. It doesn't say that she actually does. Mm. Is it said in Russian? No, in Russian it says she does. She, does. she creates. But in Brahma said he did. No, it's a translation from Brahmasam. Anyway, Prabhupada may translate it like that somewhere, but here he is written, she can read. In this particular purpose, Prabhupada has translated it like this. And then Prabhupada goes on to say, say that she acts under the direction of the Supreme Personality of God and Krishna, not independently. So even for the sake of argument, if it said that she maintains, she does so by under the order of Krishna. Uh, by Krishna's order. Taking power from Krishna. She is known as Shakti. She is the personification of the material energy. She is dependent upon Shakti Man, or the possessor of the energy named Krishna. There's a difference in the translation. It's a slight difference. We should actually correct that. In Prabhupada, he gave these words very specifically. You can maybe make a note of that. It could be changed. 
as it is um, mm, as it is known in advance from the very beginning how much pleasures and how much sufferings one one will have during his lifetime and it is all also known the his lifespan his lifespan is also fixed so can a devotee uh, behave like a fatalist and sometimes uh, risk his life and act uh, without taking care and something like this and do you ask him yes it is known but who knows you want to go to an astrologer and find out astrology gives some indication even if you go to the best astrologer he cannot say exactly what will happen in our life because as I was saying in the class everything that we do also creates new karmic reactions which may start to fructify even within this line there are many different things that can uh, alter the course of our lives for instance uh, if we come in association with devotees as Prabhupada said all the lines on your hand change but if you insult devotees then all your fame, opulence lifespan, everything is quickly destroyed or even we may come in contact with someone who has a very powerful karma that affects us for instance, a friend of mine, devotee, is a competent astrologer and one of his clients died at a young age. So he checked through his whole chart and because he wasn't expecting this. He checked it very thoroughly and went into all the different nuances but he couldn't find any indication of an early death. But then he had some, uh, how do you call that, some insight or some idea to look at his wife's chart. So he found in that, in his wife's chart, that she would become an early widow. So by the power of her chart, then his became overruled. So when we say that uh, one's karma is fixed, that is a general indication, but if we, it may happen that we come into association with others who have very powerful karma that affects our karma. Prabhupada said that when he had the heart attacks when he was sailing from uh, India to America, actually that was supposed to be his time finished. But Krishna gave him some extra time over his allowance. Thank you very much. I do not Krishna. Now we shouldn't think that, well, you know, I the astrologer told me I'll live to be uh, 92, so I'm going to drive this car at 180 kilometers an hour. <laughs> and sometimes, we, sometimes I said to a devotee that, well, don't drive so fast. He said, it doesn't matter. We already said that Mishina Pranam, so you know, we can just drive so <laughs> As if Lord Mishina is supposed to, he's, he's obliged to compensate for your foolishness. Karma works like this. If you act like a fool, you get the result of a fool. You may get the result very quickly. And after that, there won't be any more time to discuss yep. all these philosophical topics. Thank you. Small question? 
the in the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, in one of the purports, Srila Prabhupada uh, says that uh, devotees they concentrate on chanting the name of Krishna, not other names, but the name of Krishna. And in the next uh, purport, he says that Mahatmas they are uh, worshiping Vishnu and they are chanting names of Vishnu. So how to reconcile this this point? Yes. So, um, different statements in Shastra may refer to or be meant for different people. Dhruva Maharaj is a great devotee. He saw the Vishnu form of the Lord. In Gorya Vaishnava Sampradaya, especially, we concentrate on worshipping the original form of Vishnu Krishna. It doesn't mean that others who worship other forms of the Lord are not <coughs> Mahatma. Okay, we kind of got off the topic now. Uh, so it is said that uh, of all Anarthas, uh, pride... Is this connected with the, the going away from No, it's, it's not connected with the topic of the classes. It's a different topic. Yeah, okay, I think I'll leave it there. Mm. Yes.